10 years down the road, I see a renaissance coming because a lot of manufacturing now is focused in advanced manufacturing, greener technologies, and what that good future looks like. And we don't get enough credit for that. And, and that's where the narrative comes into really good play. If we can tell that story, people will not think of smokestacks, but they'll think of doing things the right way and making things the right way. And I, that's why I'm so optimistic and bullish about the future. That voice was Lance Hastings, CEO of the California Manufacturers and Technology Association, leading the way for manufacturers in California and across the nation. His interview coming up next on the podcast, Manufacturing an American Century. Welcome, Americans. You're listening to the podcast, Manufacturing an American Century, with your host, Matt Bogosian. Welcome to this episode of the AMCC podcast, Manufacturing an American Century. And today it's uh, great uh, that we have with us Lance Hastings, CEO of the California Manufacturers and Technology Association, CMTA. Welcome, Lance. Thank you very much, Matt. Glad to be here. Great. How are you doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. Good. I appreciate you being on the podcast. And I want to first say congratulations. I see that you were recently recognized as uh, one of uh, Sacramento Business Journal's most admired CEOs. Way to go, Lance. Well, well, thank you for that. It was a high honor indeed. Uh, um, nice to be recognized here in the community for the work that we're all trying to do to you know make California a better place and, and improve manufacturing for everybody. That's awesome. Well, I'm not surprised. I, I've had, uh, for listeners, I've had the pleasure to work with you uh, for years and helping to strengthen uh, manufacturing in the Golden State. And it's because of that experience, Lance, you know, what you're doing at CMTA, uh, you know, uh, looking at your, your background, building from your prior history and uh, with the industry experiences, you're, you're like an example of the kind of private sector leader we need across the country. Some people might call what you do as systems leadership. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how you built those skills. And um, I suspect it has something to do with your experience uh, leading up to and taking the helm at CMTA in 2018. So tell, give us a little bit about your background, a nutshell of like the important experiences you, you had before you came to CMTA. Okay, happy to do that. I, as a young person, I think I really appreciated kind of what manufacturing means uh, to all of us as a society and to the economy at, at a very early age. I recall times where my parents would take us on tours of lumber mills. And in fact, when the Anheuser-Busch Brewery opened up in Fairfield, California, parents took us on a tour and just seeing how things were made uh, was just really magical to me. And I, I kind of carried that with me through most of my career the, as legislative staff, kind of focusing on those business and manufacturing issues. And then I had the opportunity uh, to work for the Miller Brewing Company for 15 years and really got to see manufacturing at scale for a consumer product that a lot of people enjoy. And having that nexus between the manufacturing and consumer enjoyment really for me was kind of eye-opening uh, in the manufacturing space. And it was that job that took me around the world, uh, working in England for a, a short time uh, for three years, uh, about 10 years ago. And then returning to the United States, working on federal matters in Washington, D.C., gave me another added element or glimpse into really the, the regulatory framework and legislative framework that surrounds manufacturing. And it's just in my blood. Uh, I, I really say sometimes I joke that if you cut me open, I'd bleed uh, Miller Lite and gear oil uh, just because <laughs> I believe so much in manufacturing. And 
uh, as a result of the, the work that I did at Miller Brewing Company, I was on the board of directors here at CMTA, contributing into the, the strategy of the organization, as well as its executive committee. So I knew a lot about CMTA, how it worked, its role in Sacramento, and obviously its role in the manufacturing sector. And I think I just brought all of those experiences to bear when I took this role about four and a half years ago. Yeah, well, it, you know, what you say is so true. Manufacturing is the cornerstone of uh, the American economy. I mean, going back to our founding and Alexander Hamilton and and the focus on manufacturing uh, from the get go. Um, and so uh, so it, it's it's. Uh, it's great to hear about the contents of your blood. <laughs> uh, well, it really is. I mean, I've said before, uh, Matt, that without manufacturing, you do not have an economy. Yeah. So we're not just a cog in the wheel. We're, we're literally the wheel because of our value chain and supply chain workforce, all the issues that you uh, know about. I'm sure your listeners do as well. But literally manufacturing is the economy. Yeah, and and I think what's what's great to see in recent years is um, is a greater and greater recognition that uh, you know we have like in the nation you know between two hundred and three hundred thousand manufacturers. Uh, many of those are in California. The manufacturers in California that you guys represent and kind of your frame of of uh, of reference going forward. Okay, well CMTA has a long and storied history. So our organization was founded in nineteen eighteen in Oakland, California, and then it was the California Manufacturers Association. We added the word technology to the, the corporate name <clears throat> about 25 years ago. So that's why we're now CMTA, because there was a little bit of identity issues. When you would testify you know, on behalf of CMA, well, it was either the Manufacturers Association or the Medical Association. So adding uh, a new brand uh, to our name really helped distinguish uh, that just on, on the face of it. But what we were formed for is an advocacy organization for manufacturing, primarily in the legislative and regulatory environments. But what we found as information advanced and engagement advanced, that we really needed to serve the entire industry sector in all manners. So we have a training function now that we work very closely with the employment training panel to provide training funds to our members. And uh, we have a very small insurance program for the smaller and medium manufacturers. So we're trying to do more to support the sector because it's not just about making widgets. It's about everything else that surrounds that. And it's no easy task in California. And, and yes, you point out that California is the largest manufacturing state, really in every measure. So number of manufacturers, number of employees, and certainly our output. But it should be. I mean, California should be the shining example across all industry sectors. But that doesn't give us a right to exist and we have to fight for it every day. And it, it is getting more and more difficult with our infrastructure challenges that we're trying to address, you know, this year in the legislature, our electric grid is really being stressed. And those are the kind of the, the, what I call the ante or the table stakes to make sure that you can have a vibrant manufacturing sector that, that continues to grow. Cause after all, that's really what we're all about. Let's grow the sector. Yeah, I, I saw that you were recently interviewed on NBC TV about how um, your state, California, needs to improve its infrastructure to help manufacturers make smarter products that solve problems and, and employ Californians. Tell us, tell us more about that experience and um, you know your view on on what what other states and regions ought to do to maximize the benefit of these federal investments. Yeah, infrastructure is that really curious thing, particularly in the public policy realm, because everyone talks about it, especially after one drives through a pothole on the way to work or the way to go shopping. 
And in California, that's really more the norm than the exception. And it's been building. We've had uh, some extreme weather conditions and that affects the roads underneath. We've had COVID where there was two years of not a lot of activity in this space. And I think we've just come to the point of recognition that the infrastructure is crumbling. And the governor has been leading an effort to really get that back on the front burner. And I think a lot of the Californians are realizing that, yeah, it's long overdue. We have highway projects that were built 30, 40 years ago that need some repair and attention. We have bridges that are in jeopardy. And I already mentioned the, the electric grid, but there's so many other things related to it. And what I tried to bring into the conversation is the sense of infrastructure people think are things, but infrastructure is also people and a workforce and making sure that it's uh, skilled and ready to perform the tasks, uh, particularly in manufacturing, because it's so skill intensive. That's a key component as, as well. So it's not just about miles of highway. It's about making sure that people can get to work, they're skilled and ready to work. And then the key part for us, Matt, in our space is that they want to work at a manufacturing facility. And that really, I think, is the kind of the, the, the landmark that we need to identify that uh, we need to make our industry uh, appear as attractive as we know it to be, but others may not. And that's a narrative issue that we're, we've been working on together, uh, you and I, for the last several years with California Forward and uh, building up our communications efforts, et cetera. Yeah, no, I, and I know that, you know, through our partnership and the work that you've done at CMTA, focusing on, you know, storytelling, you know, to, to, cap, to capture and recapture, to, to uh, lift up the manufacturing narrative. Um, tell us a little bit more about, you know, your thinking there and, you know, because we hear this, you know, AMCC and our stakeholders around the country, Lance, everywhere we go, it's the same same thing is is that you know we need to get to kitchen tables you know with parents uh, mm-hmm. and their their kids early on a, a discussion about what 21st century manufacturing is all about and the good jobs it creates but but how it also you know creating smarter products that solve problems is is what what the american project needs you know yeah. uh, tell us about that that effort yeah uh, it's a herculean effort uh, obviously when i when i took this role four and a half years ago it was becoming you know, more obvious that what I'll call the historical perception of manufacturing persists even into today. And uh, whether or not you know, we can blame the movies or TV for that narrative, uh, making it seem like it's dark and, and smoky and sweaty, and in fact dangerous, is just really not the case anymore. And I realized very early on that if we're not telling the, the, the true and accurate narrative, somebody else is telling a narrative that's not true and accurate. So it, it was incumbent upon us to make sure that we're putting out material, visual and otherwise, that show it's a great place to work. Invite manufacturers uh, across the nation, but you know my emphasis is here in California, to open your doors to the community and let them see uh, firsthand and up close what it's like to be in a manufacturing facility. And I uh, you know, continue to be amazed every year. I hear so much, wow, I had no idea that yeah. it was so... You know, pristine is some of the words uh, that, that come forward. And that proved to me uh, that we really need to make sure we get the narrative right. So we've bolstered our communications function here to bring those stories to life. Because after all, manufacturing is not about the equipment. It's about the people that are in the industry sector making those things that everyday Californians need. And we just have to own that narrative in, in a better way and promote it. So we, we own it and promote it. We do those two things right and well, 
I think we'll be in good shape for the future, but we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. Yeah. So let's break that down a little bit. What are some of the things, you know, that we could do? I I remember years ago, we had some stakeholders, uh, manufacturing stakeholders um, talking with the ad council, you know, as one tactic to have kind of broad based communication about the uh, manufacturing being the cornerstone of America's, you know, 21st century. Uh, And, you know, we, we, and we have a lot of, um, you know, new investments. I mean, heck, just in this, the last few years with the ARPA and the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill and the Chips and Science Act and the Inflation Reduction Act, we have a lot of uh, uh, help, but, you know, stakeholders, uh, you know, to include the workforce and parents, everyone's got to be involved in this project to implement those, to use those new resources and other public and private resources. And, you know, what are some tactics, um, you know, that, that, uh, that we should employ to really get it at that kind of um, societal level that we need? Yeah. Well, I I think we are, and it is that societal approach that really is going to be the, I think the thing that pivots the United States kind of returning to a resurgence of manufacturing. And while, you know, very difficult, but the COVID pandemic, I think underscored a lot of things for Americans and policyholders that there were some vulnerabilities in our supply chain. And I I don't speak necessarily of uh, national security issues, but it was really uh, a very stark reminder that while we live in a global economy, the ability to move goods uh, around the world for the manufacturing was, was stressed and challenged. So it created this uh, national debate about bringing things back to the United States. So we're not just the intellectual property capital of the world, but we're, we're both. We can design it here, build it here. And, and if we're building it here, of course, we're creating good jobs um, that are good paying jobs that people can build careers around. And it was really that, that pivot that has positioned us uh, to the way that we are now with those federal acts that you mentioned, the CHIPS Act, most recent among them, there was this acknowledgement that, wow, our chip production was fairly isolated in Southeast Asia and Taiwan. And automobile manufacturing uh, really pointed it out. People started wanting to buy cars again after COVID and boy, there were some delays. And it really underscored the, the need to, to bring you know some things back and change the narrative. And if it, we're going to go to the electric side and cars and electric vehicles, let's talk about lithium for a minute. Mm-hmm. We have tremendous lithium deposits in Southern California down in the Imperial area at the Salton Sea um, that are untapped. And 10 years ago, Matt, we wouldn't have been having a conversation about mining lithium at the Salton Sea. Yep. Yeah. But we are now. Right. And that that the fact that we're even having that conversation gets us into the notion of, okay, how do we manage our natural resources? What's the best way to mine those, et cetera. And I think um, the, the progress of looking to your point, 10 years down the road, I see a renaissance coming because a lot of manufacturing now is focused in advanced manufacturing, greener technologies, and what that good future looks like. And we don't get enough credit for that. And, and that's where the narrative comes into really good play. If we can tell that story, people will not think of smokestacks, but they'll think of doing things the right way and making things the right way. And I, that's why I'm so optimistic and bullish about the future. The, the uh, White House did a um, analysis of key supply chains uh, in America that we're going to need to really thrive in the 21st century uh, around defense, energy, transportation, agriculture, communications, IT, and health. And so it's almost like a template 
uh, Lance, for, you know, the areas that we need to focus on to make sure that we, uh, you know, we don't have the kind of uh, structural stress that we had to endure with, with, um, with the weakness of our um, supply chains um, in, in the pandemic. Um, and it takes an ecosystem of support. Uh, you, know, you know, we talk about in AMCC what, what uh, the best evidence is revealing uh, around, um, uh, you know, the six, six pillars of what a thriving manufacturing region ought to have. And, and it includes, you know, not, not manufacturers can't deliver on all of those components. They need an ecosystem of support to help them um, approach that. And, and one of the players in the, the ecosystem uh, are governments, right? And so we talked about these federal investments, but state governments and local governments have a role in that. And I know you, uh, you know, keep close tabs and work with the, uh, Cal- your state's government, California state's government. You know, what would you say to other, other um you know, regions and states around the country about what state governments can do to, you know, embed a continuing manufacturing focus, um, you know, where they are. Yeah, I think that's really um, a good point that um, it really does take a village um, on manufacturing. And when the state steps up and let's make, you know, my original assumption is that you don't have an economy without manufacturing. So if we start with that premise, then it should become the priority for everybody. Uh, to make sure that it's supported, not that they need to fund everything, but they, you know, we all have, when I say they, I'm using the wrong pronoun, we all have a responsibility to support um, the sector. And some of that is maybe not relaxing regulation, but speeding things up uh, because certainty allows us to plan and prepare, uh, et cetera. But the economic consequence of the manufacturing sector really requires that we at the state, regional, uh, local level, we'll have to, to, to play nice. And uh, we sponsored legislation last year that would have provided a sales tax exemption for the purchase of manufacturing equipment. And that came at a time post-COVID when manufacturers were, we were all coming out of the, the darkness and looking at the equipment and realizing, well, it's time for an update. And we took two years off not knowing what the future looked like and, and investments were really hard to come by during those two years. And now it's like, we're, we're coming out of hibernation. We're ready to get going again. And we saw interest rates increasing, inflation rate uh, going up and the cost of capital therefore is getting more expensive every day. And we thought what better opportunity then for the state to demonstrate its support and partnership with us to give us a little bit of an incentive to buy uh, and replace capital equipment in California. The bill sailed through the legislature, which was great, uh, but the governor vetoed the bill because it wasn't part of the budget template that he had put forward. Uh, and we're back at it again this legislative session. We're going to try a little bit different tactic, but it's one of the things that we're calling upon our government leaders at the local, regional, and state level to be our partner. You know, because if we're investing in their communities, we're creating jobs, we're paying great wages. Uh, and our output uh, generates a lot of uh, knock-on effect and the multiplier effect of jobs in manufacturing. Every manufacturing job supports two and a half other jobs. So, wow, I mean, every, it, we can't, the script kind of sells itself, but we just have to make sure we get it uh, to the right people at the right time. But that's what we're working toward. Well, and as a segue to how you and I got to know each other, Let's talk a little bit about kind of this, the, you know, how you lead a system to change, right? Systems leadership. And um, 
for listeners, uh, there's a there's a non uh, nonpartisan uh, nonprofit organization called California Forward that uh, that organizes uh, uh, convenings and work product uh, to help uh, uh, California's um, uh, economic progress. And uh, Lance and I got to know each other because there's a subgroup within it uh, focused on this topic: manufacturing. What is the state doing? Uh, to uh, and all of its stakeholders doing to strengthen uh, that particular state's um, uh, manufacturing ecosystem. Um, you know, and it ta- there's a lot of various stakeholders, Lance, in that group, and we've uh, been a part of that for a long time. Um, and, and it takes a real collaborative attitude because we have a lot of diverse opinions. Um, tell us a little bit about what attracted you to that process and why it's important that we have private sector leaders fully engaged in uh, this kind of collective impact activity. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to what you said, I think at the top of the podcast is it does take a village and an ecosystem. And while we can't do it alone, nor should we, uh, we own our parts of that narrative that we bring to the table, but we have to appeal to these other stakeholders that include other nonprofits. And it does include uh, environmental stakeholders. It includes other business leaders, it includes labor leaders and workforce leaders. You know, I spend as, almost as much time talking to the California Department of Labor and Workforce Development as I do GOBiz, which is the governor's uh, Office of Business and Economic Development, because they're both so critically important. And the California Forward provides that forum and the platform for us to have these discussions. And I think the first one that we did was in 2019, and we had a robust engagement. We had 40 people in the room at least, and everyone was dialed in and wanting to support and I think that it's kind of a two-dimensional issue. We need support, which we understand, but we need to have that dialogue as well because we can't do it alone. And a lot of the output from that first meeting, we sent six to eight priorities to the governor to say, here's what the manufacturing community, you know, big M, big C, so it's all of us, are recommending you to lead. I'm really optimistic about the future, but it does take all of us. And that form and your form through AMCC is... Now, that's what we need. More, more of that, please. Kind of like the old Saturday Night Live. More cowbell, please. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I think we're bringing the cowbell to the to the equation. Yeah, I like it. I like it. More cowbell for sure. And and we're learning that you know AMCC in partnership with the uh, Department of Commerce's uh, Economic Development Administration, we're doing a series of uh, regional visits. And one of the things that we're learning in these regional visits uh, is is you know the the great benefit of having 50 states you know because uh, they're 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 trying different tactics uh you know to strengthen their manufacturing sector um we, we visited connecticut where uh their state government is you know full-throated on on manufacturing they created an office uh, with a chief manufacturing officer and are funding a whole variety of things even having had us uh talking to their bipartisan uh, legislative committee on manufacturing to inform uh, them on what else their state could do, uh, you know, to strengthen the manufacturing ecosystem in that state. I think there is strong evidence to showing directionally we're, we're going in a good direction. And uh, it, it kind of begs the question, 
from many of the people that we're talking to about the pace of the progress. Tell us, you, you know, how can the private sector participate in those kinds of activities? Because you represent a bunch of manufacturers, right, that are busy making things and they're trying to transition. Um, you know, give us, give us, you know, your kind of summary of their perspective in playing in these ecosystem activities. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's very encouraging that uh, there's a demonstrable effort from the federal government and in many cases, the state government to support, you know, manufacturing, but also other economic um, activities. And as you know, with the federal funding come a lot of strings and requirements uh, on this latest round, particularly on infrastructure, uh, California has to meet certain markers in order to even be eligible for the fund. So it's not one of those natural things that, oh, you're California, you're 15% of the population of the country, so you're going to get 15% of the CHIPS Act. There's no guarantee uh, in that regard, uh, but we have to demonstrate some things. And what we found, particularly in this infrastructure discussion that we're having right you know, this year, is California is a little slow with some things. We're slow with some of our environmental reviews and progress. We're slow with um, turning uh, and putting shovels in the ground to build projects that need to be in place in order for the federal funds to flow. And that's really the debate that we're having right now. It's not so much that California is uh, the most expensive place to do business because there's, there's some truth to that. We just need to be more nimble. And as California gets more nimble, then I think the business community uh, and the, the working uh, population starts to benefit. And so that we're having almost two debates this year. Okay, we're coming out of COVID. What are we going to do? And then that's the what, but then it's the how. How are we going to get there? How are we going to qualify? And I think your observation about best practices from other states is really a good one. Nobody has a monopoly on the best idea. And once a year, I meet with my counterparts from around the country at a conference where we share best practices, some of which are kind of association specific, maybe about membership or communication strategy. But it's a database information sharing opportunity where we come away, each of us, with, wow, I didn't, either I didn't think about that or if it's working in Tennessee, for example, some kind of variation on that same theme may work here in California. But at the heart of everything is the need to work together. And stakeholder is never a bad word. Uh, in fact, it's a required word. We have to engage with other stakeholders to really make this thing work. Um, the, the best thing I think that's going for us in the next three to five years is this federal support because it is... It is real money. And sometimes we joke in government about, oh, you know, $100 million really isn't that much money. Well, $100 million is a lot of money. But when you get into $180 billion to support uh, the country kind of coming out of the malaise of COVID, that's, that's serious. And we need to be good stewards of, of those resources and really tap into our database of best practices and really deploy those. And, and I, that's why, again, I'm very optimistic about the future because we have Everything's the table's been set, Matt. Let's just look at it that way. The table's yeah. been set, right? And now we have an obligation to make sure we do it right. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's right. And you know, back to back to my point about directionally, we're set up, you know, to have a good run. Now we have to execute on that run, and it's going to take you know in, engagement with all of our stakeholders to make that happen. Um, you know, California, you know, is the biggest state and on manufacturing, uh, you know, it, it is on many fronts as well. Uh, and part of the AMCC, you know, uh, 
charter is that we want to share best practices from wherever they are. And, uh, you know, and it, and it's great, you know, to, to hear your humble take about how California is open to and accepting all best practices from other regions uh, to add value uh, to the work that you do in California. What, what would you, how would you describe the kinds of best practices, things that, that California manufacturers do well that others around the, the region or around the country, you know, uh, could learn from? I think some of it's at the heart of our input. So uh, water uh, challenges after five or six years of drought have been an issue. Um, I mentioned our electric grid and it's kind of crumbling nature. It's just not currently fit for purpose for what a, a future that we've all agreed we need to get toward. So it's not that we're in disagreement with the, the movement toward a, a greener uh, economy, uh, one that reduces carbon emissions, uh, greenhouse gases, et cetera but we're not quite there yet. So what it's hard for me to compare us to other states because they may not have those same challenges, but I think what we need is a, a courageous conversation among all stakeholders to say, what do we want California to look like? And then it gets fun because we talk about the how and the when. Some of the dates that are out there uh, are not achievable. We did very well on the initial round of greenhouse gas um, emissions being reduced but we're nowhere near where the, the end goal is. And really we don't have a roadmap to get there. We have a desire. We know where the destination is. We just don't know how we're going to get there. And certainly the speed with which we're going to get there. I remember being a kid asking my parents, how much longer, how much longer? Yeah. And the answer was from the front seat, we're just around the corner. <laughs> and you know, five hours later around every corner, you, you got to the destination. But I've, I've discovered working now at CMTA that a lot of us, including, and I'll accept some responsibility for it, we're kind of talking past one another. Oh, we, you know, we can't get there. Well, that's not really a, a contributive statement. Yeah. It's, I think we can get there, but we either need some support, we need some more time. And one of the missing components really, I think at the, at the main table has been academia. California has the largest secondary or post-secondary education system probably in the world between our UCs and our CSUs and our community college network that I don't know that we're tapping into that mm -hmm. uh, and bringing them to the table uh, as the governor did with the Future Work Commission. He really kind of engaged academia, which I thought was great uh, because it gives you things to think about. They do a lot of research and they, they can be helpful. And it's not just those of us in the business community and government, you know, the two of us are going to solve this five-dimensional problem. It's going to take um, a lot of input, but the a missing component, at least right now, the way I feel is the academic side of the equation, because it almost ends up being, uh, ironically, the, the neutral arbiter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And years ago, I think you recall that academia was criticized, yeah. uh, that they didn't really have a place in, in the, the, at least the commercial discourse, but I, I think they do. I know they do. And we just have to find the right way to bring them in. And that's a great point, Lance, because, you know, this whole approach and reason why I think we have such bipartisan support around uh, this uh, work nationally is that the overwhelming evidence supports, uh, you know, strengthening the cornerstone of the American economy with manufacturing and, and to be tethered to the, you know, continuously improving best evidence uh, uh, of that point, I think is, is solid ground and it is 
proven over the course of um, you know the industrial revolution and America's project that that's going to inure to the benefit of Americans. Um, and you know we've learned over over the decades too that you know it's it's not just economic development; it's really more sustainable development is what we're going for. So yes, heck yes, we need economic development, but we also need you know social progress, uh, environmental progress, um, and security all wrapped together. You you mentioned greenhouse gas uh, targets and goals and how that that's uh, embedded in your work. Y your constituency manufacturers in California, many of them are you know, uh, quote unquote, conservative uh, types. T tell tell listeners about uh, the narrative you use uh, to uh, to to bring uh, folks that, you know, have not been maybe uh, uh, as close to the evidence evolving over recent decades. You know, how do you bring them along to recognize that, that these are important goals and that there are a lot of win-win-wins in uh, taking action, um, uh, you know, to strengthen manufacturing in a way that also reduces greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah, so there, there's two sides to that, um, that discussion. So I've yet to meet a manufacturer who wastes water, who wastes electricity, wastes natural gas, you know, waste packaging, and because waste is really anathema to the industry. So manufacturing by its very nature is a, an industry predicated upon efficiencies. And now efficiencies have evolved over the centuries to, to mean different things. But at the moment, uh, manufacturing is at its most precise efficiency than it's ever been. So there is that misnomer back to the narrative that, well, you know, you're big users of energy. Well, we absolutely are because it takes a lot of energy to make things. So from that uh, sustainability stewardship perspective, I think we're rock solid. The flip to that is, as I discovered, um, re well, I don't say recently, but in taking this role, that there's a lot of discussion, and I'm going to use the cement industry as an example. Uh, you often hear in legislative hearings how carbon intensive the cement industry is. And that's true. I mean, we're not going to uh, shy away from that. But what most people don't know is that the CO2 that's created in the cement manufacturing is a result of the chemical reaction of heating the limestone to turn it into cement. So there's not a smokestack at a cement facility spewing, you know, what some people would think, black smoke into the environment. And we need to have that kind of conversation. Say, here's, here's the reality of cement manufacturing. And uh, it's easy for me to say, you can't have anything, <laughs> growth and progress and, uh, and manufacturing without cement and steel, lumber, you know, those basic ingredients. But it's those aha moments, I think, that really help us reshape the, the debate. Okay, let's talk about that cement production and how can we get to either net zero or certainly reduced emissions. And that's where the academic thing may come up. Maybe there's a better mousetrap to make cement. Right. And it's and it's uh, it's about unwrapping these complex systems. Right. Absolutely. This is, is what we're doing is really complex system science, you know, a, a complex adaptive system science. And um, and that's a that's a great example. Um, and, and and so, you know, ha having uh, storytellers that can tell a complex story uh, that resonates, uh, you know, with with people that need to act is uh, is an important theme. You know, before we wrap up, Lance, uh, you know, what would you say to other regions, you know, listeners around the country, you know, who occupy, 
you know, one perch or another. Some of them are, are uh, you know, uh, leaders of organizations like, like yourself or, in, you know, others in public and private sector, but others are just um, in those kinds of organizations trying to, trying to advance the American project. What would you, you know, what uh, final words would you have for them in terms of the importance of this work and, and their agency and making a difference? Um, I, I'll use a, an analogy of an orchestra that, you know, to really turn out great music, you need a, a multitude of instruments. Um, and yes, you do need a conductor to, to keep, uh, you know, the, the melodic sound going, but we, we're not in it alone. And that's really what I want to kind of convey. So when I meet with my counterparts, it's not that I feel isolated out here in California because many of my members have national markets, in fact, international markets, and we all play in that global economy. So th there's some assumptions that we make from the very beginning that we're all in this together. Let's figure out a way to cooperate more than compete because they compete in the marketplace. And, and that's really where the consumers get involved. But for somebody to make a widget, I want to be able to help and enable that person. If they make it here, that, that's obviously preferred. But getting that widget made is really the key thing. And sometimes it does take regions and countries to make that happen. And as we talked about before, this post-COVID environment has really reset the global economic deck. Not that it's going to you know, be a tectonic shift one way or the other, but it really showed everybody that as we evolved to a just-in-time system and economy that, boy, that natural resource showed up at your back gate on Tuesday and it was going to be in production on Thursday, packed up on Monday and out to the consumers and no room for inventory at any step along the way. Those days are kind of over. We have to rethink the speed with which um, items move through the manufacturing sector. And when we do that, we can right size things and then you avoid out of stocks and, and delays. I remember trying to buy an appliance in 2021 was next to impossible. And I sit here, even, even in my job where I should know more, I'm like, why is that? Well, because <laughs> yeah. people aren't sitting on a bunch of parts in a warehouse waiting to build a, a dryer or a washer. And things really were just in time. So as we got super, super efficient, it didn't really take into account the possibility of a, a disruption, let alone a massive disruption like a global pandemic. And I use the, the comparison all the time, it, it, uh, even at my office. If the water main at our office building broke and I said, okay, staff, you have to go work from home for four weeks, but you can come back. You can shop like you used to. You can drive your car like you used to. You can uh, intermingle in public like you used to. You just can't work here. That'd be a totally different circumstance than, wow, we don't know what's going on, but you got to work from home. You got to stay home because it's not safe for you to be out. And that's going to go on for two years. No one could have predicted that. But now that we've had that experience, it's given us all an opportunity to rethink things. And as a result, uh, the next three to five years, again, are going to be some of the most creative, productive, um, uh, even a renaissance uh, for, for manufacturing and other parts of the economy. But, but for our intents and purposes, manufacturing is really going to be the driver there. Well, thanks, Lance Hastings, CEO of uh, California Manufacturers and Technology Association, uh, helping to lead the way in manufacturing in American Century. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure working with you. Likewise. You can learn more about AMCC by joining our weekly mailing list at AmericanMCC.org backslash subscribe. If you're a manufacturer, 
economic development professional, workforce and trading person, capital provider, or work in any field critical to American manufacturing, send us a note. We'd love to hear about progress from your part of the ecosystem and join us on our Monday calls. The next episode of this podcast, Manufacturing in the American Century, will be coming out soon. So in the meantime, spread the word by sharing about AMCC and the podcast on your Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Manufacturing in American Century is available on Spotify and all major podcast platforms. Thanks for our production partners, AMCC Operations Director David Van Sicklin and Mr. Mike McCallan from Podcasting for Associations. That's it for now. I'm Matt Bogosian with you, Manufacturing in American Century. Freedom of man.